freaky franchises. They're the ones that make people like us get incredibly excited over anything in connection, whether it be coffee cups, t-shirts, or new film editions. Better get comfy, because we're talking about some of the best horror franchises ever. You're listening to Sky Sauce Podcast Network. For a full haunted hour, you are invited to take a seat and join Daniel Andrade and Barry Fitzgerald and Monroe Hayden as they celebrate the spookiest holiday of all, Halloween. From monsters to haunted houses, your killer hosts give you a tour of the afterlife. Take a look under the bed and investigate the movies that made us afraid of the dark. Welcome to Skysoft's Sunday of Screams. So let's start with a child's play. Dan, what do you have to say about this franchise? (laughs) So, uh, as I had stated in the intro, um, Child's Play was one of the first movies that I had ever, horror movies that I had ever seen. And I, I think in my opinion, I was way too young for it. So it kind of gave me like this lasting fear of dolls <laughs> in general, but particularly with uh, Chucky for sure. So I stayed away from him for 20 plus years. And it wasn't until like a few years ago uh, when Monroe was kind enough to join me in facing my fears and, and watching each of these films. And I have to say, like, I'm so glad that I did because, like, now uh, Chucky is one of my pals. Like, he's my best friend forever. So I think it's just, like, it's so much funnier than I remember, especially, like, the uh, the Bride and the Seed. Those are just, like, so bonkers, off-the-wall crazy. <laughs> but I just love how they, like, just fully you know, commit to the bit of this character. And then it's gotten to the point where like Monroe and I, when we're talking, we'll randomly just say like, give me the power I beg of you. So it's just like so melodramatic in some sort of ways, but just so great. Um, And I think I see now what I didn't see when I was too young and too afraid, why he's so iconic and why people do just love him. And, you know why he's definitely worthy of getting his own tv series coming up soon that i'm actually now super excited to see so and massive props to brad duriff there's no one else who can voice him mark hamill bless his heart he he's iconic as well in his own right but there's just something about that voice that just like you know it's him when you hear that voice so i just love that that you know they've they've stuck around for all of these films and have committed to it as long as they have and that it's still going it's still going strong uh so yeah i i love it i appreciate this franchise so much now and i'm glad that i got to face it and see that it's actually iconic for a reason so i i love it now i love it yeah i i really enjoyed child's play uh, you know it's one of those things where uh i remember watching the original one and watching particularly Bride and Seed of Chucky in the movie theater. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's one of those <laughs> it's one of those movies that's really 
initially tries to take itself seriously and then realizes it's really a big joke. And I guess with the, the new versions, they're trying to make it serious again, right? And I think this speaks... It's, it's, it's one of two franchises that we have in here which in some degree centers around a haunted doll. So this is like one of those repeating tropes, you know? It's one of those old wives' tales and we just kind of continuously rehash these things and it works it works because who hasn't looked at a you know i think the only thing scarier than being alone in a room with a baby is being alone in a room with a bunch of creepy dolls i just said there was other things too in another podcast (laughs) that's right they're all they're all like you know this is one of them this is one of them yeah but being alone in a room with a baby with still it's (laughs) still the, the freakiest scariest thing i like child's play i like this franchise i think it's i'm a I'm not a huge Chuck fan, but uh, you know I, I do like him. He's pretty, he's pretty cool, especially the older ones, Child's Play and Child's Play Two, are particularly my favorites out of the franchise. I did like Cult of Chucky. I thought that was actually pretty interesting. It was a good addition to the franchise, and uh, it made it serious again, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it brought back some familiar faces, which I really liked. Uh, but yeah, there's like there's three, and then there's a like bride and sea. Those, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know what they were doing, and they all got like theatrical releases, which is even yeah. more weird. Yeah. Because it's like, how, how did these movies make it to the theaters? <laughs> but <laughs> you know, people were paying to watch it, and it's fine. And it's just one of those things about how these franchises are, they kind of evolve over time. That sometimes it doesn't even matter if it's a good movie. These these franchises have these followings if you're a chuck fan you're gonna watch every single chuck movie that comes out no matter what whether it's good or bad and that's the same for one of my other franchises which we'll get into later on but uh but yeah child's play i think is is really fun one of the creepiest things that i can take from child's play is from the first film when the doll is starting to melt and you can kind of see the mechanics underneath it and he's just like walking very slowly with the knife you know after uh i don't know if it was andy or the mom i can't remember at this point but you know he was just really trying to get to get out there and also just like the little point of view shots of him like running and skittering around the <laughs> the room and stuff like mm-hmm. that uh those are pretty creepy as a child to watch uh but yeah i do like uh in the first one how you don't even see chucky as the doll in full action until probably halfway through you just see a lot of you know point of view shots or or maybe you you know you hear some things here and there but you don't actually see him in action until like the halfway mark mm-hmm. i remember bride of chucky was the theater was packed when i went and saw it. Mm-hmm. it i think i saw it too in theaters it was it was a there were a lot of people and it was a pretty successful film if i recall correctly it maybe recalling it incorrectly i haven't looked at the box office numbers but that was that was a great comedy that people were going to watch at the time yeah and so i'm saying like it doesn't matter what type of you know if there's certain followings for certain films and if you're a chuck fan you're going to watch it and if you were there on opening night you were a chuck fan and uh i didn't see it on opening night i think i saw it like around the third weekend or something with one of my uncles and and it was still packed and I, I don't know why, because <laughs> the movie wasn't particularly good, but it was a funny movie. And uh, but I think everybody went in there with the initial 
uh, expectation of it being scary. Because I think, what was it, Bride of Chucky was the first one that actually made this more of a joke. Right? Because Seed came after that, and Seed was the ultimate joke, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, still, I, I agree. I think it was a, a successful movie in that regard. And so successful to the point where, like, Jennifer Tilly is now a part of, like, the Chucky right. universe. Like, when she appeared, I think it was in the cult one. It was just so exciting to see her. Like, oh, she's still here. She's still around. Like, the 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 lore and the story that they've created has uh, gone in a bunch of different directions, but it's stayed relatively consistent, like, throughout all these films, which I'm sure is not easy to do either. So, yeah. Yeah, and they also used the daughter of the actor who plays, yes. who's the voice of Chucky, yes. to be in Cult of Chucky. They're still able to keep it in the family, and that's how much this this franchise means to so many people and even the people who make it which i think is one of the reasons why this franchise has surpassed many others because it's you can feel the love surrounding it with the people who watch it and the people Mm -hmm. who make it Mm -hmm. and it just seems like they really have a good good time making these movies i don't think it was the same group that made the the new one with mark hamill uh, and aubrey plaza which by the way aubrey plaza (laughs) <laughs> you know, she's, she's she's a good crush. She's she's crush worthy, mm. especially oh, yeah. from that movie. Definitely. But uh, but yeah, I don't think it was the same makers. Yeah, Aubrey Plaza is like up there on my list. Um, but I mean, I think you and I have talked about this as well, Monroe. Like, I respect the fact that they were trying to bring it into the new era by like making it like a, a smart uh, doll that was like Bluetooth enabled and all that sort of stuff. Like, they really did try to bring it into the modern era. And I respect them and appreciate for it. And I still think it was a decent film. Like if if none of the other films before had existed, then I'd say it was a pretty good film. But it's really hard to try and reboot it after such like a long history and a long legacy of, like I said, this lore that's been very consistent throughout the whole thing. So, but I, I do respect it. I have to say that much at least. All right, let's move on to Jeepers Creepers. This is actually one of one of my favorite franchises. Not my ultimate, but it's one of them just because I love the history that surrounds the creature, the imagery from the first film when when you see the the creature which you don't know is a creature yet. You just think it's a dude throwing bodies into the pipe, you know, and just kind of you know and, and and then like he catches you staring and he just like stops and looks at you and I thought that was so creepy because I could totally see something like that happening while you know driving somewhere and then obviously he gets into his car and starts chasing them around but also the the imagery of when justin long's character you know he shouldn't have done this like i said you don't start none there won't be none <laughs> he goes down there right and then he investigates it he said what if there's what if it's what if they need help and sure i can honor that but uh whatever he goes down there and then he sees like a tunnel or I guess a cave of some sort, just like lined with nothing but human bodies. And that always creeped me out uh, ever since I've seen it. It's one of my favorite franchises. It's got some really good legit uh, jump scares. It's got some really legit eerie moments and like, ooh, what the fuck moments too when you're trying to figure out what's, what's he, what is he doing? What is he evolving into? But I do have a question for you guys. How is this guy able to register his car because he has a license plate, right? <laughs> <laughs> that says legit, like, it's even got, like, updated, like, things and stuff. He never gets pulled over or nothing, but he's got, like, a, a license plate that's custom 
for him. I, I think <laughs> right? I actually think that this was a um, a showpiece in Rudy Giuliani's evidence about oh my corruption God. in the 2020 <laughs> election. I think they actually went out there and said, yeah, the guy from Jeepers Creepers, he got this license plate. So clearly election fraud is a thing. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, I guess the DMV in that state doesn't really check any records. I mean, I can think we can, uh, you know, no motor voter law there, hopefully. Yeah, that, that wasn't a serious question, but it was a question. It's like, wait, this guy, like, no one, like, ever brought this up. They're like, this guy has, like, he, he pays his, 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 you know, his bills. <laughs> like, Registration fees and everything. Yeah. Like, he's got a legit license plate on this thing. And I would love to see his driver's license. I would love to see what his photo turned out to be like. <laughs> yeah. like can you imagine that guy walking into the DMV? I'm just going to say the insurance on that must be awful. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's got to be just really expensive. Or not because it's so old that they're just like we we can't even cover this man like maybe we can cover this that way you don't get in trouble but like there's nothing we can protect you from. Would, would, <laughs> would it fall under the classification of a a high end commodity though like a like a security uh, because it's it's like it's a classic car now right so. But it's not kept in a classic way. Ooh, good point. <laughs> yeah. You have to keep it because it's even like with homes, like you can't register it as a Nash. What is it? Not a monument, but like a, a historical a place, unless it's being kept to a certain condition. Right. So I, I would assume it's the same thing with that. But I used to have a a '98 Corolla that I kept for many, many years. It was my first car, and I just kept it until I couldn't anymore. And the the older it got, the better my insurance got. So I'm gonna assume it probably was the same thing for him. And the, what where, where are they at? Florida. I forget the state. It's a good question. Yeah, I forget too. But, but I think there were like cornfields and stuff. Yeah. So. so probably Midwest, right? I would guess Midwest. Yeah, I don't okay, think any of the states so. in the Midwest actually check any of that stuff out. So I think we're good. Yeah. So it might be different there. You know, makes it enjoyed uh, car chats here uh, on Sunday of Screams. <laughs> we talk about the serious stuff, <laughs> clearly. I mean, it brings up an interesting point, right? Because the demon creature from Jeepers Creepers is really kind of a play on the whole cryptid thing, like the National mm-hmm. Americana cryptid. And, you know, it makes you wonder, does um, does the Mothman have a uh, have a car registration? And what would their registration be like? Uh, you know, Mothman can fly though, so it probably doesn't. But need so could the guy from Jeepers Creepers, right? So, you know. Yeah, but he 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 chooses to drive, and that's the Mothman. I've never seen the Mothman. I say this as if I know this dude. I've never <laughs> seen the Mothman drive a car though. He's always like, flying like flies around. a UFO. Yeah. But yeah. 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 Do you register that? I guess you'd have to. I mean, I just don't know. Would it be like under a boat? Because it's kind of like a ship, right? More than anything else. So it'd be registered like a boat. I don't know. Jersey Devil, though. Jersey Devil doesn't have a registration because he's from Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Back to this. Back to like the serious <laughs> stuff about this. Uh, Barry, uh, what do you like about this uh, franchise? I think it's just it's fun. Um, it's it definitely has its own mythology to it, which it's a pretty good self-contained mythology. You know, I grew up. You know, grew up is the wrong way because this. I'm not. I'm a little older than this, but um, I remember, you know, turning on the TV and Jeepers Creepers was on, you know, 
weekends or whatever. It's one of those, it's kind of like Tremors in that way, right? It's one of those, you turn on the TV and, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, it's probably playing somewhere, like on sci-fi or something like that. It's, uh, so it's got some good memories for me. Um, I really do enjoy the overall action sequences and, you know, I just think it's, it's a fun romp. Yeah, I think kind of uh, on the opposite end of the Child's Play series where this lore is so, like, rich and well-developed, like, I think we get, like, little teases of, of who the Creeper is and how the Creeper originated here. So we don't get much to work with. But what we do get is just very uh, intriguing, very captivating, very exciting. So, you know, I think in the third one, which was just uh, made for TV which was, I think, on the Sci-Fi channel. Um, that's when we started to get, like, little teases, even more teases of, like, who this creature is, how they came to be. So um, it kind of left me hanging there. So, But that's the sign of a good movie, a good franchise, right, when you want to just keep learning more and knowing more. So, yeah, I think the creature effects are super fantastic. Um, like Barry and Monroe were saying, it's a fun ride for sure. It's very action-packed and just very exciting and fun to watch so i love it this is my first introduction to the creeper i hadn't known of him until um you know these past few years so uh, i'm i'm glad that i'm i'm in the circle now welcome yeah thank you and nightmare on elm street it's a it's a great franchise um you know of course it's a classic the idea of freddy krueger as invading people's dreams reaches down into uh one of our central fears which is what is the difference between reality and dreaming and what occurs i mean night terrors you know seem to be very real for people and particularly younger people and i think this plays into the franchise that when you get older you know i still have nightmares but they don't freak me out like they did when i was a kid and so I think that it's one of those special areas where you can, as a kid, have a certain degree of terror, but adults will simply write you off. And I think mm-hmm. that in some ways this speaks to that kind of problem in our society where um, it's very hard to see actual threats sometimes, that they're very easy to write off for people. and. And it also plays in a lot of ways on the whole sin factor, meaning that, you know, it's the the flaws and the sins that get played on and that the hero has to be redeemed in some way or somehow separate. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty archetypical franchise as far as playing on those, those structures that you commonly find in horror. It's such a cruel thing, too, because, like, we all have to sleep. <laughs> So it's yeah. the fact that like he can attack you in your sleep, whether that's at night or even if you're daydreaming, like when they were when she was daydreaming at school, like I just think that's so terrifying as a concept that like there's there's no escaping it because uh, you you know you're gonna have to sleep at some point as hard as you try. So and then the dreams that you sometimes have, like I think Barry was saying or Monroe was saying, it's just like sometimes they just feel so real. And you can't even tell, like, what's going on. And then maybe you have those people who can lucid dream and can kind of control it and have fun with it. But, yeah, I think it's just a very scary concept. And uh, Freddy is definitely a very iconic character. 
uh, I can't look at like red and green stripes without thinking of him, you know. So, uh, you know, Christmas rolls around, you see all these sweaters, you're like, oh, there's uh, there's Freddie walking around during the daytime. So, uh, yeah, just a very classic character. And again, like the first film starts off with very little knowing about him. We just get introduced to him right away, just straight up. He just starts killing people right away. You're like, who is this person? What is they? What are they doing? And only later down the line do you get more info about him. But he just definitely makes an interest. He knows how to make an entrance for sure. Definitely preys on on a bit of that suburbanite fear in the '80s too. You know, you have mm-hmm. a lot of that ideal suburbanite. We're no longer under threat. We're the dominant superpower kind of thing going on. So, what do you have to be afraid of if you're a suburbanite teenager? And the answer is you'll find something to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, we're all afraid of something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't have to look too far for it, actually. Yep. Yeah. The The effects are amazing, too. I mean, you know, Freddy's design. Yes, yes. It's perfect. That glove. Like, who thought that up, right? Um, Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you just have to be kind of a little bit fucked in the head right to do a lot of stuff which Wes Craven definitely is but he's in all the right <laughs> ways apparently um, yeah no it's it's an iconic character a lot of the special effects really hold up too even though some mm-hmm. look a little dated but there's some really great like the waterbed scene is one of the fav- one of the fan favorites right you know Freddy's head coming through the, the walls and stuff and mm-hmm. you know it gives them an opportunity to play around with uh, a lot of things you couldn't in a more non-dream oriented structure. Mm-hmm. Yes. I agree. Friday the 13th. Why did anybody go to summer camp anyway? <laughs> like everybody's terrified of summer camp. Mm-hmm. Probably because of sleepaway camp. Right. But that came out before this one, right? Yeah, but it also kind of like, it also kind of plays on that whole you know, there's a murder in the camp, you know, it's, it's kind of an old trope, right? Like one of those old mm-hmm. classic, uh, stories that people would tell. And so it gets rehashed into these things and, you know, Jason, the demon baby, you know, you know, I love the twist that it's actually the, uh, the mother originally mm-hmm. in the first one. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> How did we feel about the franchise? Oh yeah. Yeah. How did you guys feel about, uh, that. Uh, I, I mean, it's definitely true that this uh, trope is is a classic for a reason, and it still holds up to this day. Just uh, this past year, I think they released like this reality TV competition series that had to do with like a killer in a camp, and you had to figure out who it was as like players were slowly getting eliminated. So there's just something fun about that whodunit concept. Uh, put into a slasher type of uh, mentality into slasher type of perspective so it just is one of those franchises though that I think kind of struggled to find its footing and find its way because you know you have those films in the franchise where he's in space for some reason (laughs) or just like he becomes this like super monstrosity of a of a thing that's just unkillable he takes on this sort of mythical status which which is fun and then he what didn't he go against 
Freddy too? Freddy versus Jason? I was so. just going to say that Freddy versus Jason is actually one of my favorite of both franchises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yes. love that they played them against each other and it's really creative. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. 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 But yeah, there's just something about uh, the the look of, of Freddy or of Jason and um, just I think uh, Friday the 13th is with the ch 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 yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that sound effect in itself is just so iconic, too. It's just, uh, there are definitely a lot of things that cement Jason as this unforgettable character that I think we're never going to get rid of. Like, I think he's here to stay, and uh, he's just going to keep getting crazier and crazier. So, yeah, but I, I think it's a, a fun franchise. Uh, definitely a roller coaster of of a series for sure <laughs> you don't know where you're gonna go um, but that's what keeps it fun and interesting and fresh and i think it's gonna keep those theaters packed because he's already done so much like what more can he do is, is the question you know i even you know when i remember if there's a friday the 13th that rolls around i even post that meme with jason on it it says it's friday friday gotta get down on friday you know that song that we all blocked out yeah. of our memories mm-hmm. Um, Good old Rebecca Black. Yep. I mean, that's how iconic it is. And, I mean, what more could he do? Well, I bet we could find things. I mean, they sent him into space, right? So, I yep. mean, you know. How about, uh, you know, Jason versus the elves from Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> Talk about a crossover right there. I know, right? <laughs> I think that just goes to, sh- to show what it- spoke about with child's play that you know if you're a jason fan you're gonna watch every single jason movie where regardless of where it takes place or who else is in it like you know these franchises have a following and the following is the real reason why they're still so relevant today and that will probably always will be relevant mm-hmm. and it, i think it's just so amazing that like it's there these are horror icons you know they're and they're the bad guys too they're not like yeah um i mean they're also been victimized if you think about it, except for Jeepers Creepers, but you know, it's not the, that's not on the same level as Child's Play. But Chuck is, uh, he's the protagonist, and then you got Freddy, who's also the protagonist. But he was a victim. If you watched all the other, any of the other films, I can't remember which one it was, but you kind of realize what happened to him. The reboot, I think, really played that yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, Jason, uh, he was also, uh, he's also a victim. Yep, I can't remember which one it was. That kind of goes into his backstory as well. So uh, you know, it, but for the most part, they're they're all like channeling their revenge in these really negative ways, and they're treated as as gods and heroes, and you know, people people love them. And uh, uh, I can I can definitely see why they are cool movies. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a really good time watching them. Jason was bullied and I think killed, yes. if I recall correctly, and. He was kind of deformed, right? And that was part of the shtick. But he was also kind of a demon baby, and the mother was evil. And she was the actual killer, originally. And mm-hmm. I don't know how he went from there, because at the end you have that crazy thing where he comes up out of the lake. Yeah. You know, yeah. at the very end. So it's, it like just takes all these like crazy twists and turns, because it's, it's a supernatural killer, and then it's not. It's just a crazy woman. But, oh, hey, there really is a supernatural killer. I mean, that's also a good segue into the next franchise we're going to be talking about, which is Halloween. I can't remember if it was number two or number three, but it was completely 
irrelevant to the Michael Myers uh, storyline. Like, it's off to the side somewhere. There's a whole little chronological timeline of when these things happen, but I think, I can't remember, was it the two or three? Does anyone remember? It was three. Uh, it's the one with the masks. Yeah. That turn you into bugs. Yeah. Ugh. And the, yeah, you have to like play the, the tape or something. But yeah, uh, Halloween's another one with a uh, with the franchise, and everyone loves Michael. There's all these um, TikTok videos. I'm not on TikTok, but sometimes they make a, a, an appearance on Instagram. And there's all these videos of these little kids, little girls, who love Michael Myers so much that they're like they they have parties, uh, Michael Myers parties, Halloween parties. And the, you know they're wearing the masks all year long and stuff like that. They'll just sit there and watch the movie in the Michael Myers mask, <laughs> and uh, you know, and it, it's it's really cute, but also it's like you know, it, it's I feel like they're little me's kind of <laughs> sitting there, <laughs> and you kind of have to wonder like, what is it about these about these characters that just resonate with the young crowd, and then they just kind of they stick throughout time. I don't know. And I also read somewhere. That Halloween is an unofficial sequel to Black Christmas, which we'll talk about in a later episode. Oh. But it's an unofficial sequel, and that um, oh. Michael Myers is the is the person who was hiding in the in the basement in Black Christmas, and he got caught, and then he escaped the asylum. It's not canon. It's just something that well, like I mean, is to build off what you were saying first. I think um, it's it's a known fact that the director of Black Christmas and John Carpenter were friends and I think the director of Black Christmas like when Carpenter was telling him how much he loved Black Christmas and wanted to know like hey like is this going anywhere like are you going to do anything more with it and he kind of threw out the idea of what would have basically become Halloween so yeah it's not too far of a stretch to kind of make that theory because that conversation was had so that was like a real chat that the two of them had and led to you know Halloween and then future slashers from there I'm I'm pretty sure, Barry, you can confirm or not, that one of the movies in the Halloween franchise doesn't even have Michael Myers in it. Like, it's just like, yeah, these people that are just summoning his spirit or something. So uh, to, to answer your original question, Monroe, I think it's just that that mythic nature, that mythic, mysterious nature of who Michael Myers is that people are just drawn to because... Again, he becomes this sort of supernatural figure that fire can't kill him, getting hit by cars and shovels and whatever, like can't kill him. So it's just this unkillable, unstoppable, powerful being that's always around. <laughs> you can't escape him. Uh, he's always a few feet behind you just walking. So I think that's what draws people to this character and this franchise. And... You know, we would re- we would be remiss to talk about this whole franchise without talking about Jamie Lee Curtis, who kind of like is this very iconic figure as well and kind of paved the way for for future final girls, even though she wasn't the first, but she definitely was one of the more iconic ones. And this kind of led her to other roles and other, uh, you know, movies that featured her in this very prominent role, this very powerful role. So. I think it's just a, a combination of that, of the, the powerfulness of Michael contrasted with the relentlessness and uh, the determination of Jamie Lee Curtis's character. Uh, Lori, Lori, I think is her name. I actually have the answer to your query on the official answer. 
And the answer is that um, originally Halloween was not supposed to be a series centered around Michael Myers. It was supposed to be an anthology series. The first one, they did Michael Myers. And it was such a huge success that they did it in the second one. And so then people began to associate uh, Michael Myers with the Halloween franchise. And then when they did the one with the masks and the videotape, that was an attempt to deviate and it didn't work. It just didn't work. And so at that point, Halloween became the Michael Myers franchise. People wanted more. And so they had to keep upping the ante with Michael Myers to make him more and more supernatural to make it work. And I think the thing that made the first one work so well, I think you're right, Jamie Lee Curtis versus Michael Myers, but also Donald Pleasance, who is a acting juggernaut who, you know, really has not been replaced in, in our lives. And he is... He is he is really what ties together the two series of the threads. His his he he makes it clear how dangerous Michael really is, and and I think he does that very very well. Um, I like Malcolm and De- McDowell, but nobody holds a candle in this regard. I think to Donald Pleasance, and the uh, and also you can't really write off John Carpenter's music. I mean. Carpenter mm-hmm. kind of has this thing mm-hmm. with always making music in his movies, right? You know, the thing has some iconic music, but this has the iconic score. Like everybody knows it. You hear it, you know exactly what it is. And it and the synth was very new at the time, and so well at least it was new as far as you know, it's common use in music. And so to have that really creepy I mean, before that, what do you have? Tubular bells, right, from The Exorcist. That's, But that was a prior existing, you know, theme, if I recall correctly, right? In this case, this is the Halloween theme, and you hear it, you know what it is. That was the first uh, song I learned on piano. It's great. <laughs> it's Halloween. I love it. Um, but I do agree that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is the scream queen. Like, she is the ultimate. And she's also the daughter of the, the, the psycho... Um, victim in the movie Psycho, the girl who died in the in the shower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the daughter of her, so she's got like that long lineage of of horror in her blood, and also just uh, scream queen DNA. She's she's also in Prom Night and in, in, in a few other movies too. So she's definitely won the title. And I I think I know why the the third one didn't work because they they tried to do it too late. Yeah. You know, like, it's already the third one. Like, you should have done it by the second one. Yep. But yeah, uh, that does make sense now that they were trying to make it an anthology series. If I remember correctly, also reading into what uh, they were trying to do with it being an unofficial sequel to Black Christmas was that they were going to do one for every holiday. So they had Black Christmas to represent the Christmas one, and then Halloween is the same dude, and then you probably have another one like Thanksgiving or something. Who knows? Or... Like, you know, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Red Easter, Arbor Day, <laughs> National Donut Day. <laughs> Donut Day. Because this can go on for a long time. <laughs> Bring your daughter to work day. <laughs> donut Day. Time to make the donuts. Ah! What's in your donut? Deep fried terror. Oh, God. Now we got to make these. Yes. Oh, gosh. I know what you did last summer. This one was not too bad. 
but it wasn't as good as other franchises. The thing that this does have in common with Halloween and Friday and Nightmare and Chucky is that it's the same killer throughout the entire franchise, practically. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with this new series that's coming out. Uh, so this is just talking about the film franchise from the 90s, and I think it ended in the early 2000s like most of these uh, slashers did. So it's the same concept. It, it even has the same tropes. It even has the same formatting. And it's obviously a successful one because they were able to do that time and time again. It's, it's very time-oriented. Um, that late 90s thing. I mean, we've talked a little bit, I think, in a prior... I don't know if this is a private conversation where we talked about this or in, in one of the prior podcasts, but we talked about the idea that, you know, it the latter half of the 90s was kind of like shaking off the hangover from the 80s, right? You kind of, early mm-hmm. 90s, you kind of have, still have that yuppie suburbanite thing going on. And by the time grunge takes over and, you know, metal becomes a little bit more mainstream, you know, you've got, not that that didn't happen in the 80s, but it really kind of grew up in the 90s you've got kind of this loss of innocence and properties like I know what you did last summer are kind of you know not only is it playing on the youthful exuberance and the partying and the consequences thing you know it's speaking to the suburbanite hell and and I think that that is kind of why it works particularly at the time I think if you made it today it probably wouldn't work the same way you'd have to find another way to do it i think it depends though because a lot of uh a lot of things that were really popular back then nostalgia is a really big thing now so Mm -hmm. it might just be the perfect time to come up with something like that Mm. yeah yeah maybe kind of a pandemic reopening kind of play on it we could do like we could do like a post-covid parody and call i know what you didn't do last summer you did not stay inside. You did not social distance. You did not wear your mask. Oh my gosh. One, two, COVID coming for you. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. What, what I liked about this uh, franchise and this movie, uh, and of all the movies we've talked so far, I think this is one of the more like based in reality ones, which kind of adds a little bit of. Uh, a creepiness to it, a scariness to it. Um, and I, I just love a good mystery. So I think they did a pretty good job of like throwing in some red herrings and trying to throw you off the scent a little bit uh, so that when you got to the end, it was kind of a, a surprise ending there. But yeah, I think uh, especially with the first one, it just had like all of the up-and-coming stars or people that you recognized so i think there was a lot of faith in this series and in these people to kind of you know uh capitalize on the on the slasher craze that was being uh rejuvenated at this time so yeah i i like the the fact that it's a little bit more based in reality and doesn't have like this super powered supernatural um unkillable slasher that's uh, attacking so yeah I, I enjoyed it I thought it was a lot of fun to add to that I do think that um, there is a reality to it where you know you could totally hit somebody and not you don't mean it but you can totally hit somebody with your car 
and then what do you do in that in that moment you know you can either report it and face the consequences or you get rid of the body and obviously these friends decide to do that but it's a completely realistic option and mm-hmm. so yeah th- and that can also happen too like what do you do if someone saw it mm-hmm. and decided to take the law into their own hands and make you pay for it like that is completely mm-hmm. realistic and there's something scary about that too yeah did you guys hear about that politician in South Dakota who ran over the guy and didn't report it no uh, I think it was South Dakota yeah no it was a number of years ago he was like really drunk and he like plowed into this dude and the, I mean the guy's face came through his windshield so Jeez. I guess he didn't report it and when he got caught he told them oh I didn't know what I hit I thought it might have been like an animal or something and they were With like the guy's face in your windshield like, his glasses were on your seat his face came That's through your windshield <laughs> like it's, it's creepy but people will do a lot to try to avoid responsibility in those cases Mm-hmm. And it's also understandable, maybe not acceptable, mm-hmm. but it's understandable when you're really scared to face those consequences and you didn't mean to do it. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to wonder, like, would you would you do the right thing or right. would you not? Like what's obviously the wrong thing is usually the easier thing to do in a lot of cases. But like what what would you honestly do if you were in this situation? And worse, what if you were alone and this happened? Right. You weren't with your friends. You didn't have anyone doing peer pressure. Like what would you do? I don't know. I mean, I like to think that I would report it, but consequences suck, yeah. right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I like to think that I'm a good person who will report it and do the right thing. But, you know... Honestly, these movies kind of make you wonder, honestly, what would I do in this situation? And I do think that if the if you are with other people, that makes you wonder. The, the wonder is like different because it really depends on what kind of people are you are you with. Mm-hmm. Are they the types who are who are going to hide that body, or are they, are they the types who are going to say something? And is there a good mixture of both? And who's who's going to play the alpha here? Because it's always if there is a group, there's someone's going to come out as the alpha, and then there's going to be someone who everyone kind of looks to as the as the leader, who's not the alpha, but everyone just kind of trusts their judgment and follows their lead no matter what they do. Mm-hmm. But if you're alone, what do you do in that situation? When you know all your all those voices in your head telling you you did this, you did this, you're going to go to jail, you're going to go to prison for the rest of your life, you killed this person, you're never going to get get over this you know even if you do even if like they just put you on probation or whatever like this is still going to follow you around yeah so what do you do totally totally yeah i'm just looking up some of the details on this and i don't remember if he was drunk or not i can't see that in one of the in the article i'm looking at right now but um yeah no he totally he he actually did call it up and he said it was a deer said he hit but it was a human being and yeah wow you, you just don't know i mean you don't it's it's definitely one of those cases where you're just acting on instinct at the moment paranormal activity so dan this is your favorite franchise right definitely what is it that you like about this this was one of the first films that scared me to the point where i couldn't go to sleep that night like i was just so terrified especially because the movie took place in like within our neck of the woods here in the san diego region 
I was like, if I close my eyes, I'm going to open them, and she's going to be right there staring at me, just, like, waiting to kill me. So, yeah, it was just something about, again, about that found footage type of feel to it that really freaked me out. And I think what I love about the franchise is that they've been able to maintain that feel throughout this whole series, um, even when they're going, like, a little bit more back in time or just trying to piece out more of like the lore of everything like I just love uh, this story that they're building and even in the uh, the spin-off I guess you could say that they did that focused more on like um, the la- the Latinx community and uh, someone from there kind of getting involved in this sort of situation that they can add these different perspectives to it and still maintain the integrity of the story they're trying to make and keep it very very creepy um, yeah, I just really respect and appreciate that about it. And I think also the fact that it has to do with um, technology that we're familiar with and that we're aware of that just makes it feel that it really could happen. Like, who knows what happens when we're asleep? Like, I don't have a camera going on in my room. I don't know. So the fact that someone did that and caught this is just the scariest part about it, I think. And even though I've seen these movies a bunch of times and I know what happens, like it still scares me. Like in the first one, when the body just comes flying to the camera and it still just like makes me shoot back in my seat. So I think it just really does a good job of playing on that paranoia and on that fear of the unknown and uh, of what happens in your sleep. And, you know, of course that whole thought of possession is super scary, especially from someone from my culture and my background, <laughs> like Monroe was saying, like we come from the background where if you don't mess with it, then if you don't start something, you won't get nothing. So if you don't mess with it, you're you're in the clear. So the fact that they're like digging deeper and trying to poke into it and tap into it just really is very scary. So yeah, I really love this franchise a lot and I'm excited for the next one that they're coming out with very soon. That's kind of, I'm interested and I'm very kind of cautiously optimistic because this is the first one where they're blending the found footage style with like actual cinematic style. So I'm a little bit um, worried about how that's going to play into it because every other film has done such a good job of sticking with that style and that feel, which gives it this uh, personality all of its own. So hopefully that doesn't mess with the, the dynamic of it too much. I agree. I really like the, the found footage uh, genre in general, starting with Blair Witch, you know, growing up in the Northeast, mm-hmm. you know, for me doing the ghost hunting and everything like that, it was it was very neat, you know, yeah. going going out into the woods and you know looking for things that go bump in the night. The format of this really it really resonates, and um, I also really like that they've been able to turn it into a larger mythos, the witches and everything like that. You know, I think that that really worked for me. Um, yeah. Especially yeah. towards the end and, and them crossing things together. The whole time travel thing, I thought was kind of dope, big WTF, you know? Um, oh, yeah. And tying it all together, I mean, you know, it's, it's you can you can put together a found footage work that is contained on itself, but it's I think it's a harder thing to create these kind of tie-ins. I don't think um, the other work that, that was it Orrin Pelly, is he the one who's Yes. Yeah. Um, some of his other work is also interesting in this angle, but not as good. And uh, 
but Paranormal Activity, I think, really does work as a standalone property. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, too, when you have these kinds of events, these things that you can't explain, and you've experienced them, or you know people who experience them. And when you do actually experience something, to have caught it on camera would be great. Usually you don't have a camera available. Um, mm -hmm. I was dating this woman once, and she was a longtime friend of mine before we were dating, and she... Um, she had this ghost that she said would turn off her TV at night. And so one night I stay over, we're having a bottle of wine, you know, she kind of passes out on my shoulder and I'm watching TV and sure enough at about two 30, initially I was like, okay, you've got like, you've got some kind of a timer on your TV, right? I mean, it's a sleep timer or something like that. That's set up. There's gotta be something weird going on here. And so, <laughs> I almost don't believe it's saying it, but I'm just sitting there watching TV and right on the stroke of 2.30, her closet door opens, the fucking door opens, and then the TV shuts off. <laughs> like, okay. Hell to the no. <laughs> I mean, that's a nice uh, ghost roommate because they, you know, conserve energy right. and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, honestly. That was weird. <laughs> it was right at 2.30. It was so weird. I don't know. I don't have an explanation for it. Yeah. No, like, I, I definitely have my own experiences with haunted houses, I think. But I, I want to save it for the haunted house episode that we have coming up. But, but yeah, I can definitely relate to some of those things, which is one of the reasons why I don't chase anything. Because it's like, you don't have to. It will it will find you. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, paranormal activity, man. This is... Talk about the underdog that, like, nobody in Hollywood thought was going mm -hmm. to make it and then ended up becoming one of the most successful horror franchise ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In such a short amount of time, you've got, you've got Halloween, Friday, uh, Nightmare, and Child's Play who's had to work decades to get to where they are. And now we have Paranormal Activity who had to work, like, only a fraction of that time in order to get to where it is today and it's on the same level i mean like maybe there's no iconic like villain but you say paranormal activity and you know exactly what the person's talking about mm -hmm. and you know exactly the kind of feeling it brought because that franchise is just so it's such a staple in the horror in the horror world it, it did freak me out I, I do remember when it i was in college when it came out and there were reports of people having to go to the hospital when they were watching the movie because yeah, they had yeah. they were getting heart attacks. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was so silly. I was like, okay, if you can't even handle a scary movie, you probably shouldn't be watching one, period. There is something very eerie about it, and I do like watching it, what, maybe once or twice a year? The first one, at least. You you want to talk about, like, low budget because we were talking about another mm -hmm. movie in the in the past episode. I think this is matches the same quality where it is low budget. It does come off as cheap to some people, but I think uh, because this doesn't require you to think too deeply on what the message is, because I'm not even sure if this does have a real message. I think this is just one of those, let's just scare the crap out of you <laughs> movies, which is one of the reasons why you go to watch these movies in the first place. Mm -hmm. It does what it's supposed to do and it does it right every single time. And I think the buildup of it was so good. And I think uh, to finish up on the quality of it, I think like the, the quality of of the movie makes it that much more 
frightening because you can never actually see the details Mm -hmm. of what it is that you're afraid of and that feeds into the whole psychological fear aspect of it which is also what um as above so below did successfully for me as a viewer yeah uh so yeah i like that and it's and you can also say the same thing about blair witch which i was i you brought it up I was like telling myself, you know, before I go to dance, I want to watch Blair Witch. Because <laughs> 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 I was like, I'm kind of in the mood to watch Blair Witch now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you brought it up. And um, But yeah, Blair Witch is also one of those things where you never really got to see what you were afraid of. Mm-hmm. But you knew it was out there. Mm-hmm. And you weren't sure if it was because there was nothing there or if it was because of the pixelation yeah. of the quality. Yeah. And I don't know what's more frightening. I think paranormal activity kind of reinvigorated the found footage genre too because oh, absolutely yeah a- after Blair Witch there there were a number of copycats that just did not do as well I mean yeah there was Viet uh, Wreck that turned into quarantine mm-hmm. that was pretty good yeah I think Paranormal Activity actually refined it yes right and then from that um, we got live stream which is like host mm-hmm. have you ever seen that have you seen that Barry on Shudder I don't remember. Gotta watch it, man. I don't remember. Yeah. I think I might have. Yeah. So if you good. like this stuff, you mm-hmm. gotta watch Host. That, you do. That's a fun one. I was sleeping with the light on for like a week after Host. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, we owe a lot to this franchise. Definitely. Definitely. The Conjuring. Okay. I avoided watching these movies because <laughs> I I have a thing about exorcisms. I don't like them. They scare me. I grew up in a like, uh, my mom's christian but my family they're filipino so you know they're already like hardcore catholic Mm -hmm. exorcisms are just something that like we just were born knowing could happen Mm. or we think it could happen so i just never really i always stayed away from it so i avoided the conjuring series for so long and it was before we actually thought about having this podcast i decided you know what no i'm gonna watch it i'm gonna i'm gonna buck up (laughs) i'm gonna watch this movie and I'm gonna and I'm gonna see what the big fuss is about. And I'm so glad that I did because I really, really like this franchise, and I love I love the character development. We're gonna be talking about another franchise called Insidious, and and you know I see Patrick Wilson there, and I, I just think like, mm-hmm. how cool would it be? It was like if they called in help from like the Conjuring couple, like if it was like a crossover event. Like I thought that would be so cool, <laughs> but you know it's just like I I see these guys and I just I get excited, you know. I, I just think it's automatically gonna be good. But The Conjuring, they're based on real events. They're not, the films that you're watching, they're not exactly factual from like to the T, um, but they are based on real events and that makes it a little scary. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that kind of gives me the EBGBs is when like th- at the end of the movie, they always play the tapes. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I just, I love the way how the, the stories are told and I love the human mystic aspect of all of this where they kind of they really focus in on the families that they're trying to help mm-hmm. and they really focus in on this couple and how they're trying to stay together through all this darkness and all this evil and they just for some reason they just cannot break apart like nothing can get in between them i do love the other franchises that came from it before we get into the deep dive with barry uh this is a unique case in in our episode today because as Monroe was saying like this is not just like the conjuring one two and three this has expanded into its own universe like the only other cinematic universe we've had up to this point is like the Marvel cinematic universe so the fact that we have this 
horror universe that's so well tied together is just such a feat in its own and it's just so impressive and each one of them scary in their own right um and it just makes me really you know you know you sometimes get those questions where they ask you oh if you could have dinner with any person like who would you want to have dinner with i would want to have dinner with the warrens just to hear like all of these crazy stories that they've experienced all these cases that they've dealt with it's just insane all the things that they've seen but to monroe's point the fact that they handle each of these with so much care and they really really focus on like what's what's plaguing these people how can they help them how can they use their abilities that they have for good is just really like heartwarming in these dark and super scary movies um the conjuring the first one is definitely one that is on my rotation because it's just one of my favorites it's just so well made and so good um, uh, I, I may have gotten past my Chucky fear, but I'm still not completely over my doll fear. So Annabelle is still like on my to watch list later when I'm a little bit more brave. <laughs> but for now, I've seen every other film in that franchise. And like I said, I think the the fact that they're able to tie them all in together so well. Uh, before before he starts, I do want to say there um, that isn't the only uh, cinematic universe, actually. Uh, right off the bat there we've got the godzilla universe oh uh, that's the true. monster movies with that's the true. king kong and we've got the puppet master uh universe alien and predator is the same universe mm-hmm. ah, um okay, okay. the freddy cougar and friday 13th uh franchises are also within the same universe don't forget the clerks unbreakable uh, i'm trying to think of other ones that come to mind um but yeah so those are just the other ones so that this is there's more uh hmm universes than just marvel and the conjuring so first of all i'm glad that you brought up clerks and chasing amy and ball rats <laughs> i love that yeah that universe jane violet silent bob yeah um <laughs> so i have a complicated relationship with the conjuring um and it's because of the warrens ultimately i do really enjoy the movies um the warrens hail from connecticut which is also where i hail from so I grew up hearing about mm-hmm. the Warrens and their stories and, you know, Annabelle and the museum that they have of cursed items and stuff like that. So, I mean, all this stuff is connected to a real event. Having said that, I have seen the Warrens talk in the past. I've Ooh. gone to their presentations. Um, they're prolific in the Northeast ghost hunting scene, of course, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. as you expect. It's very interesting to see what they have. My biggest problem is presentation-oriented, and I think it was my second time seeing Lorraine Warren talk that I began to really become suspicious of them. And ever since then, I've begun... I'm not sure how true a lot of the stuff is, because... You're going to ruin this for me, Barry. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I'm sorry. I just got on this bandwagon. All right, that's fine. They're not very scientific in their methodologies, and they are very quick to yell at people who don't like their use of terminology and cast oh. them out of their talks. And oh. this is a bit of a problem for me because they cannot take the ones who are left, of course, you know, had died, uh, cannot take criticism very well. Um, now, having said that, I am sure that they have been heckled and 
that's probably the reason for it. Uh, I'm simply saying that I'm skeptical of some of it. But having said that, there is a, a trove of very interesting to test stuff that they have provided over the years. But I would take all the presentation in this with a grain of salt. More than a grain of salt. Full dash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I definitely did that with the uh, conjuring. And anything else they say is based on a real story. Mm-hmm. You know. Having said that, those tapes are freaky, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It kind of rem- reminds me of those, um, what is it, Session 9? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So, there's there's a lot of that there. Um, having said that, I mean, I've had my own experiences. So, do I actually absolutely believe that these things exist? Yeah. I, I don't... I don't know about demons and exorcisms, per se. But spirits? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Mm-hmm. There's definitely something out there, mm-hmm. and it's not all positive. No, no, and I, I love. I actually really love the presentation in the movies. I think they're really well done. Oh yeah, the storytelling is is pretty good. I, I haven't seen uh, the Devil Made Me Do It. I was supposed to, but I missed it when it was on HBO Max. But you know, I think it's, we can rent it now, so I'll probably do that. But um. The storytelling is is really good. Like I really respect it for that, at mm-hmm. the very least. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, and like I said, I don't take every single thing that's in this um, to heart as if it really did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is unfortunate that these guys are are not um, everything. The way how you're describing them at least seems makes them seem like they're they're capitalizing on this darkness here. They are absolutely capitalizing on it. Absolutely, hundred percent capitalizing on it, whether it happened or not. Yeah. Insidious. Uh, I also avoided watching this one, too, because I wasn't sure if there was an exorcism in it. Uh, and I also saw that it was Patrick Wilson in it, so I thought it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I know now that it is not. But I actually really do like this uh, these, this movie. And I, I, how many are in this? And there's Insidious, and then there's... Uh, I think there's three or four. Mm-hmm. Sinister. Mm-hmm. What are part of its universe? Is it connected to Sinister? Really? That's that's amazing. I love Sinister. Um, I'm not sure. I wasn't sure about that either because I was. I, think, I mean, I just joined in on this, so. <laughs> I think it might be actually because I do remember. I do know that some of these have a connection, and it's. And I'm with you. I always thought I was connected Insidious and The Conjuring too, and I think it solely has mm-hmm. to do with Patrick Wilson, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's another of the same type of movie, right? And that's the other thing. It's kind of a rehash, same story. You know, kind of, uh, you know, body gets, kid's body gets taken over, that kind of thing. I think what sets Insidious aside uh, a little bit is the unique art style that they have with how they present mm-hmm. the uh, ghost yeah. plane and the demons and things like that. Initially, I didn't, I had my doubts about it, but I think it works. Well, it seems like it might actually be part of the unofficial universe together, Sinister and Insidious, because they're trying to make a crossover. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. So they're trying to make a crossover that would imply that behind the scenes, that was definitely an option. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that crossover. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. 
Mr. Boogie and Redface. Yeah, what I what I like about the Insidious franchise, like Barry was saying, is their their discussion of astral projection and that sort of thing, which I think is is possible, like is doable. So uh, the fact that it's somewhat based in something that can happen, again, kind of uh, grounds it down to earth and makes it a little more terrifying. Um, especially the fact that you can get lost up there. You can get lost in this plane and don't know how to work your way back. And then who knows what's in there because it's this other dimension. And then once you open those doors, like we were saying, if you don't start nothing, you're, gonna, you're not going to get anything. But you're opening the door to this astral plane and allowing these other things in. And that's kind of you know what ends up happening in these movies is once you open the door, um, you can't control what comes in and out of it. So... I just love that whole aspect of it. And like Barry said, the style, it's a very stylistic set of films and the makeup and effects are very uh, powerful and effective. Red face is just, every time he pops up behind Patrick Wilson, it still just like makes me jump because it's so scary <laughs> uh, and so unexpected in, in that moment. So they do a very good job with their pacing and the timing of uh, keeping you on the edge of your seat and shocking you when you least expect it. It's also James Wan. James Wan is, he's just very artistic in general with his uh, his framing of things and the colors that he uses. It's very intentional. With regard to Insidious, I think they were effective at their storytelling, but again, I think it's, it's a rehash, and I think that, I think that's the problem with some of these films. Like, I think Sinister is not on our list, but I think Sinister pulls off its mythology building a little bit better than Insidious and The Conjuring do for me as a result of that because it's not drawing from this story that's already been told, right? Mm. I mean, it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. It introduces a bunch of new types of things that I think are unique and, and play into the film as not just a religious, spiritual horror but also a suspense-type film. And and I think that when you have that exorcism franchise, it can be a little bit lazy to mm. use the same tropes. I do like in Insidious how they have the ghost hunters and there's kind of a paranormal, comedic aspect to it. Yeah. Though they're kind of yeah. played as, as, as um, non-straight men, like as in like as comedic relief, right? Uh they're not I didn't mean not straight isn't like a gender or sexual thing I meant it like as in the opposite of a straight person in a, in a comedic film right uh, yeah the fundamental reality though is that you need to I think deviate from that formula in order to produce something that's really new and, and unique and I'm not sure how much either of these franchises successfully did that but they don't have to, so. And for our last film, my favorite franchise, <laughs> my favorite horror movie. I watch this, I, I watch one of these movies in the franchise once a month. It's the Scream franchise. Okay, so I have a lot I could say about this, but I'm going to try to kind of <laughs> keep it down because uh, we're running on time here. But what do you guys like or not like about this franchise? I love the the meta-ness of it. I love the 
the humorous aspect of it, but still the seriousness of the scares that it provides. It's it's a very scary film that keeps you guessing and keeps you on edge. And again, is kind of more based in that realistic nature of what could happen. Um, there's no beating the fact that like, you know, especially in the first one where they're kind of doing that parallel thing where like, oh, you know, you they're explaining the rules while breaking the rules at the same time. So I just love that push and pull of messing with what we think we know about horror films. So and of course, I think that can only be done by someone that loves horror as much as Wes Craven. So it's just fantastic. It's just so great. Uh, I, I watched the TV series as well, and I was a fan of that. Um, you know, they, they did the best they could. It's not going to compare to the movies, but I think they did the best they could to try and bring it into that meta-ness into the TV sphere and the episodic nature of that. So, yeah, I think it's a, a series that has uh, persisted for so long because it always does a good job of addressing what that particular horror movie is about, whether it's like poking fun at what slashers are, poking fun at what a sequel is, um, poking fun at what a reboot is, all that sort of stuff. I think it is is just handled so well, so cleverly. I got to respect and admire the cleverness of the storytelling and the writing of these films. And it's just, it's fantastic. I can definitely understand why it's your favorite and why it's worth rewatching month after month. It's just a fun movie and a fun movie series. And I think they do an extremely good job of pulling it off. And I, I, everything you said, I agree completely with. I also would say that it's a good example of a, what I was just talking about, about rehashing things. The idea of a knife killer, that's an old idea. The idea of it being two people and not the people that you expect, that was new at the time. That, you know, the way that they did it. The meta aspect to it was very new, and it just it's played as straight, but it's also very comedic, and I think that that also speaks to the time that it was made, which is around you know the same time that I know what you did last summer. These are all of a type; they're trying to play to a certain thing, but I think Scream in particular plays to the zeitgeist at the moment, which is um, kind of the conjunction. It's that late '90s, you know over the hangover of the 80s everything is actually we're still trying to live life as if everything is is fine and we can ignore all the problems but they're there and you know what when you least expect it they're going to stab you in the back and and so i think it spoke to the mythos of the time and i think that's why it really worked i agree i do want to say that today as we're recording this it's actually nev campbell's birthday happy birthday nev i know you're listening to this the the woman who played Sydney Prescott, she's uh, it's her birthday today, and she was actually one of my crushes, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I do love this this franchise for so many reasons. I love the development of the characters, and this is also one of the rare franchises in horror where it's not really the the villains that are being that you know people are connected to and want to see over and over again. It's actually the heroes. That rarely happens. You know, there's Lori, there's Ripley, but um, never is it like the three, the Trinity. <laughs> so you've got Sydney, you've got Dewey, and then you've got Gale. And those are the ones that everyone comes back to watch. And with this fifth one coming out, we're really 
worried that one of them is going to die because I I felt that one of them should have died in the third one. You know, one of these days we have to say goodbye to one of these uh, heroes here. But also because the franchise and the people who made this this uh, franchise are completely aware of what kind of movie they're making. Sydney, who is obviously the final girl of the series, she plays a character who is a reflection of how those type of roles are actually viewed in real life. So because she was the daughter of, of a woman who was brutally murdered, she's the one that everyone treats like a victim. They have to walk on eggshells around her because they're afraid that she's going to break. She's too fragile. She's a victim. Or they victim shame her, like the girls in the bathroom when they're talking shit about her. And then you've got Gail, who's the strong one, who's the more assertive, who's more ambitious, and she's presented as a bitch because women who are that strong and who are that assertive and are that ambitious are always viewed that way. If it was a male, it would be a different thing, but women are always viewed as the bitch and she's presented that way. And then you got Dewey, who's not the alpha male. He's not strong, he's not buff, he's not like, he's charming, sure, um, but he's not like completely gorgeous or nothing like that. He's just, he's cute, he's all right, but he, he's presented initially how those guys are which is they're weak they're not going to do anything he's not going to survive and what happens all three of these end up having a different side to them the victim is also the victor she overcomes everything she's actually the strongest the strongest one out of all three of them you've got gail who's uh still strong but there's you know she's not as bitchy as she was presented in the beginning she's there's actually warmth there and she does care because she's still in connection to these characters and then you've got dewey he was actually pretty strong and tough you know he even had nerve damage in the second film due to the the stabs and obviously there's other things i love about it too the commentary the narratives of who can we blame for our actions can we really blame the media for our horrible actions does art reflect life or does life reflect art kind of question I love this franchise so much. Am I remembering correctly? Did David Arquette and Courtney Cox? They did. And they also got divorced and they still came back to tell the fourth movie. So that kind of shows just how much these people are connected behind the scenes. It's kind of like Chuck, like Chucky, you know, like everyone loves to make these movies. You've got like a good group and you can feel it. And it's coming through to the point where like even two divorced people are willing to work together and still have a good time during the franchise that brought them together you know that can bring up a whole lot of memories and they're still willing to do that because it's so good and I remember Nev Campbell was the last one to to sign on to do number five because she was so worried that it wouldn't be something that Wes Craven would be proud of so her her main priority was to make sure this fifth installment was going to be something that he would like and that he would be proud of and that he would actually make himself if he could and I love that about about it because today a lot of people don't really care if if it's good or not just as long as they get paid and here you got Nev Campbell like no like I want to make sure this is right like this is my franchise like this is these are my people Mm -hmm. this is my home kind of thing like I gotta make sure this is good yeah and and yeah so I, I love it for so many reasons you really have to respect that, and it's a testament to how important it is for the cast to have a chemistry. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what shows, particularly in the first film, the chemistry of the cast really creates. And it, beyond that three-core group, it, it's the entire cast gels. There's something going on with the 
manifestation of that film that I think it it looks like everybody had a good time making it, mm-hmm. and I think that shows through. Absolutely. But it also does a lot of nods to to films that we have seen in the past. You just love every time they bring up like, oh yeah, I saw The Exorcist and it made me think of you. And you're just like, yes, I love this shit. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> they're, they're watching Halloween while they're going through all the rules. And he goes, I'll yep. be right back. Yeah. And then Jamie, <laughs> Jamie's yelling at Jamie Lee Curtis well, and screaming the name Jamie. So it's like a meta within a meta yeah. thing. Like, turn around, Jamie. Turn around. You're, you're going to yep. get it. But it's kind of like he's talking to himself too. Because, yeah, I love it. This is so clever. Yeah, really and then they're is. on a thirty-second delay because they go to help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It gets smart too. Like it's not just funny, but it's yep. smart. Like I love yep. that. Yeah, and it's not too smart. You know, it's not like as above, so below, where you have to really like think like maybe I'm stupid, <laughs> but no, like this is like you, this is smart. It's it's smart, but you can still get it. Accessible smart. I think in the end it comes down to what you just said, because even in in the phone call, one of the first things were asked is like what's your favorite scary movie so i think like the reason why this resonates so well with a lot of people and i think particularly with you is because this is a horror movie for horror movie fans like anyone that loves horror as much as the three of us do is going to absolutely love this movie because it 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 acknowledges that all the years Mm -hmm. and all the time that you've spent into watching these horror movies was worth it and you know it could actually be used to help you figure stuff out and you know solve these mysteries solve these whodunits because like it it rewards you for for the time you've spent watching these horror movies and i think that's a wonderful thing so and to like that in itself would be fantastic but the fact that it's coming from wes craven too just like adds like that's the the cherry on Mm -hmm. top of this like perfect amalgamation of all things horror so i think i think so much of it works because it's subtle like yeah yes there's you don't have to have it explained to you it's done (laughs) in a way that is clear without having to think about what's actually being said like like how drew barrymore picks up that he's watching her because he says the word blondie Mm -hmm. and like he could just know that she has blonde hair but the way it's said, the way she reacts to it, it's, okay, you're being watched. You know, uh, there, there are other cases that I can think of, too. It just does a good job. Oh, like, like you know, thinking about it, why would she continue having that conversation on the phone with somebody who's doing that? Why would she say she doesn't have a boyfriend? Oh, what are we doing? We're keying in on the sin aspect. Mm-hmm. She now has to get <laughs> murdered because mm-hmm. she was transgressing. Mm-hmm. Because she was getting ready to cheat on her boyfriend is the implication there. Oh, she was willing and to. So yeah. Willing to, yep. And particularly with a weirdo like that. So she's broken several rules. She has to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's subtle. Yeah. It's not like in your face. And it's not ex- it's not explained to you as if you're an idiot either. So it respects right. its audience. So like if you're a really big horror fan, you're going to like it. You're going to get it. You may not love it but you're gonna like it and if you're not a horror fan and this is the first time you're watching something anything like it you're still gonna get it but as far as like the whole like um drew barrymore thing there's a moment before that where um he says uh i want to know who i'm looking at Mm mm-hmm yep 
She's like, what? She's like, I want to know who I'm talking to. You know? Yep. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. it's just like those mm-hmm. little moments where you're like, ooh, that's kind of scary. And we're talking about the realistic aspect of I know what you did last summer and something really terrifying about someone just snapping and, you know, stabbing people with a knife. Knives are never going to be, are never going to be illegal. And right now we're in a battle of whether or not should guns be illegal, but you're never going to be able to get rid of a knife. And knives are so much easier to sneak in places and stuff like that, you know? So there's something truly terrifying about something like that. And, and you know, at the time when the movie came out, the ghost face costume was not even the Scream costume. It was just some random costume at the store. Now it's the, the Scream thing. But um, that kind of just shows that you can just grab any costume from any costume store and just start killing people. It's so easy to do, honestly. And mm-hmm. there's something really scary about that. But also makes this really scary and emotional for me with, with Scream is that whole Drew Barrymore thing, which I think is really clever, too, in the way how they marketed it. Because I don't know if you guys remember, but they marketed the shit out of Drew Barrymore in this movie. Like, oh, yeah, she's in this movie. This is her comeback. Da, 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 da. And she was only in it for like 15 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> you know, she mm-hmm. was, you know, mm-hmm. it was so clever. But um, it was her little moment there where um you know she's screaming for her mom and she can't because she was just stabbed in the throat and stuff and you know and and she's she's trying to get back and then um the guy flips her around and he she takes off his mask and we pan up to the stars and stuff you can tell on her face that she knows who it is Mm -hmm. they also i mean i love the scene where they're stabbing each other yeah. And then Matthew Lillard, Lillard is just like, I'm dying, man. Yeah, I think I'm dying, <laughs> like, man. His whole demeanor just changes. It's like, oh, crap, I'm a kid again, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? That's also the thing, too. Like, you can't believe what's happening because you've never seen something like that up to that point in a slasher film where they're actually, like, trying to make themselves victims now. Mm-hmm. And that there's something so spooky about that, too. Like, they're willing to do this to themselves, and you're watching it happen. And it's yep. it's crazy. I kept thinking, why didn't they kill the other people first? But then they're not acting. That's part of the magic. They're just riffing as they go. Which they're other not people? Thinking it out. Like, why didn't they kill Nev Campbell's character first before they started stabbing each other? Right? I mean, you know, it's they're right. they're just riffing. They're not like there's no plan really. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously there was a plan, but it's just not. Once you're crazy, you're crazy. That's it. Yeah. It'd also be a much shorter movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This whole franchise would not exist if they just went after her. <laughs> they want her to know something, or Billy particularly is the one who wants her to know something. She she needs to get a message, and that's uh, they're going to think that your dad did it. I'm going to let you know that your, your story is not going to be told. I'm going to be the hero of the story. I'm going to go on and make a mm-hmm. sequel. Like I want you to know this before you die. There are simply too many to talk about in one hour or a little bit more than that. But unfortunately, we've reached the end of our designated time. Regardless of whether or not you're into horror, there's no doubt these franchises help make the genre as popular as it is. And each of us here at Skysoft are dying for more. <laughs> <laughs>